are listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 13th of November. We've got a great show lined up. Before we get into the fun stuff, however, we need to address the fact that one fucking day after recording last week, ArenaNet decided to be assholes and change the way they do their microtransactions, and we got the stupidity of the fucking mount skins. So basically, we take back damn near everything we, good we said about <laughs> ArenaNet last week. Because that shit pisses the fuck out of me. And that's, it was literally, I finished editing the next day, the Mount fiasco drops. And I'm like, you fucking bastards. Even you guys. Son of a bitch. Joe? Nothing? I'm trying not to fucking yell right now. <laughs> Don't worry. Dude, this is the one place you can. <laughs> I'm, I'm just fucking really? Like it's just so absurd. Like, and I and I hate this. I I I hate how this is just further infecting games that I I I've loved to play. Like to the point where I uninstalled Guild Wars Two today. Really? Okay. Well, it's not that far for me. I, I just I, I I'm not going to support that by buying the things. Well, that's the thing. Like, I've made a decision today that games that have these types of transactions. I don't care how good they are without them. I don't care how much I've wanted to play them. I don't care how much or how long I've been waiting to play them. I'm not. Dude. Just <laughs> Dude. Straight up. Did you uninstall Overwatch? Yes. You serious? Yes. Holy fuck. <laughs> uh, you understand that Destiny 2 kind of falls into that as well, right? Destiny 2 does a little bit, but not nearly as much as the others. And at the simple point, the, the simple thing is it's not as bad as some of them. And I'm not trying to fall into that that weird category, but it's I don't know. Like they haven't they haven't made me feel like I have to buy loot boxes in order to succeed in their game at all. Unlike Overwatch, which the more I thought about it, the more it really pissed me off. And then with the recent comments from Mike Morheim oh, yeah. about how how he doesn't want to have them included in that because he doesn't feel that they're included because it's just cosmetic shit. I'm sorry, you Blizzard, you have to own part of this as well because you help popularize loot boxes. You have to accept part of that blame. Like the, the thing that, with me that bothered me the most about those comments, <laughs> this is the fucking studio that put out Diablo 3 as it was when it came out, manipulating drops to encourage people to spend real money, real money, in the real money auction house. So I, I wouldn't even say encourage. For, require, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, require. no, you're right. So, yeah, get off your fucking soapbox, moron. Because honestly, if you don't get off it, somebody's going to tackle you off of it. That is such bullshit. And it pissed me off when they said that. It, it, and it's, and it, it hurt me because. I've met Mike Morheim. I know he's not a complete asshole because he's like, I've had conversations with him in the past at BlizzCon at a bar, not at a panel. And he seems like a genuinely decent fellow. It hurt because I expected better from him. And then we just Show's got all, fucking me. Yeah. 
And then we got all this shit with Battlefront 2. Yeah, yeah all that said, wow. here is EA this week. Hold my beer. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Seriously. And when they're saying that to fucking Activision, that says a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, EA, uh, EA's uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 officially releases tomorrow, but they have that EA access program. I think it's exclusive to Xbox, right? It is, yeah. Where for uh, a monthly subscription, like you get free games and like when new games come out, like you get to play them a few days early for a limited amount of time. Like it's limited to 10 hours before release. So with the game out in the wild, people were able to take a look at the in-game economy, which surprise, there's loot boxes in the game. And what sets Battlefront apart from any of the others that we've come across in the past couple of weeks more egregiously the way the system works is with your various uh, character classes, you equip cards, or what they're called. Cards give you stat boosts, uh, different abilities, uh, all kinds of like actual in-game benefits. Guess where's the only place you can get these cards from? Fucking loot boxes. Monies. And not only that, like you can upgrade your cards to have more in-game effects. Like... So this is literal pay to win because Battlefront, aside from its oh, short yeah. little single player campaign, is entirely multiplayer focused. So well, they, if you don't have all the best stuff from the loot boxes, like why bother playing? You're just going to get creamed by people who have. Oh, God, yeah. Because they like said there's legitimate in-game benefits. Well, did you see the, the, the math that they broke down on that, too? Oh, yeah. Like, like <laughs> that's ridiculous. Uh, I have it here somewhere, I think. I have like 14 bookmarks thing, but uh, they, they mapped it out. And I think it was for like a standard crate uh, because they say you get between like 250 and 350 uh, credits for each game of uh, the multiplayer, depending on, you know, how well you do, of course. And just purely with that, because they said there's, there's challenges and bonuses, but those are one time things. It's not like daily challenges, weekly challenges. Once you get your challenges out of the way, you're just stuck grinding multiplayer matches. It takes over two and a half hours of straight gameplay just to earn a regular loot box. Or, you know, a few bucks of real life hard cash. The credits, too, is bullshit. Like, oh. you, you earn about 250 to 350 credits per game match, which is anywhere between 10 and 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And you can use those credits to buy heroes. Like, I don't know, Luke, Vader, yeah. Leia, Chewbacca. Luke and Vader are 60,000 credits. Even if you manage to get 350 credits per match, it takes you 171 matches with some leftover before you can just buy Luke or Vader with in-game currency. 171 10 to 15 minute matches. That's about 40 fucking hours of gameplay before you can get two of the most iconic characters. Or you can pay like 20 bucks. Jesus Christ. Well, you see, that's the thing. You can't actually buy the hero characters. You have to buy the chance. You have to buy the loot boxes, loot boxes and, and hope, hope you get, you get credits. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Like, and not only that, like the like what I was looking at this as is they put this grind in the game with the protection of, oh, there's no, you know, you can't just buy them with real money. You have to get actually earn the credits. And it's purely like the immediate thing I thought of was it's literally casino tactics. It they is. Want, they want you to keep playing this game for as long as possible with this carrot 
way far out in front of you because they know the longer you play this game, the more likely you are to spend some of that money. That did is, you, yeah, well, that's just, that's it. Did oh, you see the? Did you see disgusting. the video? Did you see the video way back when that was circulating on the? Um, I don't know what game dev circuit it was, but it was mobile games and it was all about turning and I quote players into payers. Oh yeah. Lifted it straight from the fucking casinos and made this an actual marketing thing to train employees when making games. The fuck. So rightfully the community was very upset by this news. Not so rightfully, they did what online gaming communities all too frequently do and take things way too far with the way they treated the developers. Do not condone any of that whatsoever. For clarification, this is, we're talking death threats, doxing, we're talking threatening developers, family members. It's okay to disagree with a game. It's okay to boycott a game. It is never fucking okay to do any of that shit where you dox, threaten, or, or try to scare or intimidate somebody because you don't agree with the decision they made. And keep in mind, people that worked in the game, it's not their fucking choice half the time. It's coming down from the people that hold the goddamn purses to their goddamn paycheck, and they need to live and have a roof over their fucking head. Not all of them are innocent, but at the end of the day, it's not their fault, like, at least 50% of the time. Mm-hmm. I would say higher than that. We talked about that last week, too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where... If there's no way to quantify it, but I would like to think that if we took a drive over to Bioware Studios and talked to them, the majority of them just want to make good RPG. Mm-hmm. But you unfortunately, have any idea how far Anthem has dropped on my list since last couple of weeks, they're beholden to EA. Yeah, so that's the problem that we have. So it's not the the studios. What's funny? Not funny, but funny. You know. Uh, I was reading Twitter today and they were announcing how EA has backpedaled on Star Wars and they've slashed according the prices, uh, to, according to them, the prices on these characters and whatnot. Yeah, and by, they were, by 75%. Yeah, and then they were talking about the the harassment that the, 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 the devs were having to put up with because of this. And it, I actually saw, now I'm not, I didn't go looking for it, although normally it finds me, but I saw no harassment at all. I just saw people bitching about it. So all these things you're describing, I actually didn't see any of that. I believe you because it's the fucking internet. I've seen a bunch of responses. Oh yeah, but I didn't see any of that. Of course, that's wrong. Thankfully, we exist in communities where that, those actions don't occur. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm with Joe. Obviously it happened from other sectors of the fan community. So, so yeah, it it no, it gets better. <laughs> Air quotes better. Oh, I want to hear how it gets better. <laughs> because yes, the prices are slashed. I just found an article. Like I said, I was talking to Marty in the pre-show. I was like, every time, like I have to keep updating my notes for this. <laughs> an article from Game Informer about their Star Wars Battlefront review because you know it should be up by now, and they're like, well. We decided with all the changes, we're going to wait and see what, you know, the actual final version of the game is because the economy in the review copies of the game was not the same as the economy in the live game. As their example, I'm not surprised by completing the single player campaign in the review copy, they earned uh, a special loot crate that had 20,000 credits in it. 
in the live version, and mind you, this was before they made everything cheaper. This was not a reaction to them slashing the prices. In the current live version of the game, that loot crate only gives you 5,000 credits. Yeah, but is that often they do that so that they can jumpstart the people who are no, doing the reviews? Oh, I'm I'm just relax, Joe. I'm not <laughs> not defending them. I'm just no, saying, no, I'm just saying sometimes they'll do that just to here, here's a whole bunch of money so that you can unlock a bunch of stuff so you can see what it'll look like later because you're not going to review the game in two months. You're going to review it now. But sure. the problem with that is if that was a beta or testing, I could believe that. But when it comes to review copies of the game, especially with this, it has been established with anybody who reviews games and you can you can talk like they've been a light about we this review fucking games. <laughs> we don't review them like this. It's not our living. But the people that no, do this mind. for a living, when they get review copies of games like this, it is supposed to be as close to the live as possible, which includes stuff like the in-game economy, especially when the in-game economy is such a big driver of the game. Right. So it, it's not like they knew, like, themselves. yeah, EA is giving us a special gift so we can unlock stuff and see how it works. They did not know the in-game economy changed until the live version went up. Now, like, my counter, this, my this wasn't this was like, one of those like little gifts to help you see more. This was a change in the actual game that was undocumented for the people that were reviewing it. And, and to put it in perspective, Shadows of Mordor did actually state in the review copies you are getting extra shit so you can see the things like it was a it was a an, a disclaimer essentially as part of the review thing where it said we're giving you essentially what is the highest tier where you could get what if you had pre-ordered every goddamn thing here's every every piece of loot over here's everything go review it like but they put that as a disclaimer yeah, that's all i got it's a fucking yeah, shit oh show. that was a lot <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I'm just astonished at like the Chicago School of Economics just being in every aspect of my life, including fucking video games. Like paying to fucking play just, it's driving me fucking crazy now. It's ridiculous. There's there's no reason for this. And, and that's the, the crux of the argument. Like if you want to use, you know, these free to play style monetization efforts, that's fine. If it's a fucking game like, free. It, when you're charging $60 and that's, a, or more the the most <laughs> understated sixty dollars of the year because you know they charge upwards of two hundred and fifty dollars for. Well, some you got to have that games. platinum yeah. edition. Come on, exactly. Uh, it's it, it's the the argument is null and void. And again, this is exactly what I said last week. It's fucking Star Wars. If you can't make a profit off of Star Wars, fucking it up. It's not that they can't make a profit, is that they're not making as much profits as they yeah. think they can make. All right, let's move on from there and talk about some some happier stuff. Uh, <laughs> as I'd mentioned before, Joe and I both picked up a Switch. We picked up the um, Mario Galaxy, or sorry, Mario Odyssey bundle, which first and foremost, just from an aesthetics point of view, looks fantastic. I, I love it. I the the case looks good too. Could stand to have a little bit more space in the case, but that's fine. But uh, just from aesthetics, it's fucking gorgeous. We've been talking a lot about this um, through through IMs uh, from the point that we each got it. Just because we both came at it from a point of, to a certain degree, skepticism. It's certainly mm-hmm. a lot more on my part, and I'm I own that, and I'm fine with that. And then the more I've been reading about it being... 
again, it's more of a replacement for the 3DS than for a console, then it started making a lot more sense to me. And again, as I said previously, the purchase was, as we were just talking about in pre-show, when I was loopy on pain meds, I was like, oh, you know what? Why not? Let's just get the fucking thing. I'll have it for a few years. I'm sure there'll be games for it. And so I was fully prepared to be like, okay, I fucked up and whatever. Maybe even return it. But I'm actually pleasantly surprised. And I, again, I would have no problem saying, no, it still sucks. But no, I'll own up to, no, I've changed my mind and I was wrong about a few things. Some of it, though, was the um, the information that we've been getting about it. We're not getting all of the, the information. We're not seeing just how much is available for it now. And yes, some of it is ports. Some of it is ports from older games. Certainly. When, and I'm not trying to, to kind of justify that. However... When you go into the eShop, there's a fuck ton of games. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's loaded with games. I was... Were we doing a Destiny when I showed you? I can't remember what it was. But I had the sound up so you could hear the click, click, click as yes. you scroll yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. And then I just kind of held it down so you're hearing click, 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 click. And a lot, just so Joe could see me, or hear me, I should say, scrolling through all the fucking games in the eShop. <laughs> It takes a while. There's a lot. Now, again, some of it is just poured shit. But in amongst that, there's actually still a lot of good stuff. And for the old stuff, if you haven't played it, clearly, here's a platform where you can play it then. Or if you want to support a game or company that, you know, like I did with Yacht Club, uh, I have bought Shovel Knight yet again on the fourth platform now. Because I want to reward them. Well, it's not just about rewarding them, but I'm sure you'll play it. You know? Oh, I'm fully it's, selfish it's, about uh, that, too. It's like I said about chess kind of thing. So I've picked up a few other titles, and you have as well. We've been playing the crap out of Galaxy. So before we get into the... Odyssey. Oh, fuck. That's going to keep happening, folks. I'm just going to say it right here, right now. Once again, payments and wine, fuck words. Okay, so we'll get into Odyssey later on, but just to talk about the device and, again, some pros, some cons as we're going along. One of the cons right now is the warping of the dock. Joe, I'll let you take this because you actually found some clever possible solutions as well as this. It's not a, a Kickstarter. It's an Indiegogo that you just sent me today. So I've actually been doing a lot of research on this because one of the, the things that I do with all of my devices is I fucking baby them. It's to the point where when I trade in an old console uh, at any point in time or an old system or handheld or even a phone, they often look at me and go, did you even fucking use this? Um, so the idea of having a dock that would potentially scratch my recent very expensive purchase uh, has been bothering me. Turns out there are several different ways to actually solve this problem. Now, first of all, the problem is that the dock is is it's too big as far as the actual switch goes. It completely envelops or almost completely envelops the screen uh, and, and it's rather large and heavy for what is essentially a circuit board that is no more than three inches by three inches that drives the whole thing that allows it to to charge and connect to the HDMI. It's a horrible design. It is a very horrible horrible design. design. You could tell it was the last thing they thought of. Now, the reason that it warps is because the switch, like any tablet that goes into a high graphics mode or anything else that is also charging while driving graphics gets very fucking hot. 
If you've ever watched YouTube on your phone for more than 20 minutes, you understand how warm that device can get. What happens over time is that heat gets captured in that area and it doesn't damage the switch. The switch is actually good up to 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, 97 degrees Fahrenheit it was it was when it shuts itself off and cools down. But the dock, however, is hollow plastic, hollow thin plastic. It warps inward, and that's what causes the scratches. So I've been looking at alternatives. Uh, there is Nyko produces an actual mini portable dock that is relatively cheap, uh, and it it works really really well. You just have to make sure you update the firmware because they did find a bug that was causing some people's switches to overcharge and kill their port. Um, that has been fixed, but it is an option out there, and it actually fits really nicely inside of uh, your carrying cases. Um, the current Nintendo Switch dock, well, it doesn't. Um, there is also a group of people that have made what are called dock socks. And if anybody had phones in the late 90s, early 2000s that, you know, they weren't flip phones. They were those weird, like, almost Matrix-style phones, and they, you wanted to protect the screen, and uh, Apple was one of the companies that did this. They made socks for phones. It's essentially the same thing. You put it over the front of the dock. Some of them have some designs. It creates a very soft padding, and then you can slide your, your switch in and out, and that soft padding will keep it from uh, getting scratched no matter how bad it gets warped unless it's, you know, super closed. I would be worried about it causing the switch to overheat to put it in um, something like that. But the heat problem is from the back, so it actually doesn't add that much to it. Okay. So it's, it's not a bad. The other thing that you can do is you can actually cut the front of the, the dock off. Uh, and a lot of people are actually doing this where uh, you go right above where it says Nintendo Switch and you literally take a hacksaw to it, sand the edges and throw some craft foam or something over it because you really don't need it. Because once it's connected to the the USB-C port inside, Switch ain't going anywhere. Now, some more enterprising things that we've seen is 3D enclosures that have been printed or injection molded that allow you to actually remove the guts of your current dock and actually place them in it. Uh, if you it, it's relatively simple, actually, and aside from needing a tri screwdriver to get into the guts, which is supplied with most of these kits, it's really, really quick and easy and relatively cheap. The cases are anywhere between 12 and 17 dollars, and it's a really good alternative. And a lot of people that have done this, it's alleviated their dock heating problems completely now. There are some rumors going around that Nintendo is going to release a new dock this holiday season. That there's going to be a mini dock released. We'll see. I'm sure it'll also be an expensive $90 for that compared to their competitors, which are coming in at 40 and less. But one of the cool things we saw, and I linked this to Roger, is the Ojo, uh, which if you know Spanish is I. It's a dock that does have an HDMI in as well as out. It has all the standard USB-C connections. It does use the DisplayPort 2 driver, which is unique. It's something that is very unique for the USB Type-C, uh, which allows the switch to actually transmit to a TV. But it also has a built-in projector. It really becomes an ultimate traveling dock. You don't need a TV. You don't even need a fucking HDMI cable. You literally plug it in. You set it up. You set your focal point. You plug your, your switch in. You're good to go. It's really fucking clever. It's expensive but no more expensive than a regular projector of HD quality. I would say actually it's a little cheaper than most projectors I've seen. And I say that only because as I was telling you in IMs, we, I was actually looking at some recently and not, not necessarily to buy, but just to see what they're, 
what kind of quality we're looking at now and the pricing. And I was looking at the, uh, the drop down uh, screens again, because that's, we would need that in our home. And honestly, the price for this, you're looking at the super early bird is two sixty nine us for what you're getting. And considering that you can just slap an HDMI and put other devices in it as well to project. It's actually a really, really good price. Like, I, I I considered this, even though it would mean I'd have to buy a fucking screen for our house or whatever. I looked at this and went, damn, this is fucking a good deal. And it looked fantastic. Yeah, and, and from people that have gotten early builds of it, uh, I've actually been doing, like I said, a ton of research on, on dock alternatives. They love it. The quality has been great. The plastic that it is made of is heat resistant better to, than the fucking yeah. this piece of shit <laughs> but it has to because it, it not only does it have the switch plugged into it but it's got a lumen driver in it so it has to well so it also has different cooling as well yes so which helps it has heat sinks built into it and everything else um and, and if i had to nitpick the the switch at all it literally just comes down to the dock and this is where nintendo is going to lose out because it is a very expensive piece of plastic and their competitors their third parties are going to do it so much better than they are yeah, that's pretty and, much par for the course. Yeah. Luckily, the Switch is designed in such a way that it's actually not hard to also build yourself something. It doesn't have to be fancy. Yes, you'll need a different connector if you want to patch it through to your TV or monitor kind of thing. But you can pick that up fairly cheap. And so then you're only looking at building a stand of sorts to put it in. I mean, they they, they did an entire tested episode of that on, on YouTube that was just, let's make a stand for a switch. And I actually have one as well that I can use separately because the fucking, so that's the, the, the little kickstand that comes on the switch. What a enough. piece of shit that is. <laughs> that is a joke. Now I, did, I bought I bought a I bought a folding one that actually resides because I bought a new case too because right. I, I wanted something bigger, but I just throw it in my Mario case <laughs> and take it with me. But it's it's for it was all of twelve dollars and it it works beautifully. Yeah, the switch itself when you have the the Joy Cons connected so that it's basically again a handheld device. Holy fuck! Like I'm playing Mario on it. I've I've barely scratched the surface of of Breath of the Wild, so I'm not going to talk on that right now. But I also picked up a a little indie game called Robonauts, which is fucking awesome. It was on sale, and I thought, you know what? Let's support it, pick it up, and try it. I adore that little fucking game. And then I also picked up uh, Perception. We talked about that some time ago, and that is the you're the blind woman who is going to a house, and then you're using essentially echolocation by tapping your cane and 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 seeing what's going on. I'll I'll go into it in a little bit more detail shortly, but just to say, and then of course, Galaxy. So. The screen is gorgeous. I, I picked up, and I know you did after we talked about it, I picked up a, a, a screen guard primarily for the scratching in the dock because otherwise I'm like you, I take care of my toys. But that kind of concerned me a lot. So I picked one up, and it was fucking amazing. Easy to slap on. You, you don't even know it's on, and it's a thick plastic, so it protects it well. But the screen is gorgeous. The, the, the game... The games look beautiful on it. The UI is very simple. You're you're scrolling through kind of like a classic PS, well, PS4 as well, PS3, PS4 kind of scrolling through to, to see the games you have. Uh, a PS4, I guess, would be more accurate. But it, it, it looks fine. And then there's the eShop, which 
needs a lot of work still, but as a kind of entry to shops, because I don't count the other ones, let's be honest. Um, it's not bad. It still needs some work, but it's not bad. And and then there's the little friend functionalities and whatnot, but that's pretty simple. There's not a lot to it. The OS for this needs work. That's what I'm getting at. Much like the OS for the PS4 and the Xbox One have needed work over time, this is the same thing, only now we're on the ground level, and it, it needs some serious work. Not in terms of it doesn't work well so much as added functionality is definitely needed. I don't know if you feel the same way. I, I really don't because I feel like the device was built more for touch than anything else in that capacity, and I feel if you look at it in that manner, it works perfectly fine. I'm not talking um, about how you get to things in the, in the touch versus moving along. I'm talking about... um features that are missing let's put it that way because there's a lot of features that would be in again the ps well, like plus what? or live that are not here well i mean like what like well clearly any kind of matchmaking any time of chat any kind of thing like that and well then, chat is definitely a thing but also at the same point we're talking about premium services which nintendo has already stated are coming right and that's um, where I go back to my point of there's work that needs to be done on it. They're working sure. on it. It will be improved over time. But right now, it is still fairly rudimentary. Well, that's because Nintendo doesn't have their own network set up like PSN or Xbox. And that's where most of the deficiencies come in as far as I'm concerned. And that's where I'm saying but that should have been done already. It's not like they don't have the fucking money to do it. So, And if Sony and Microsoft can do it... <laughs> Nintendo sure as shit can as well. But Nintendo is always late to that party. And this is one of those things where I think when they originally designed the Switch, it they didn't care about the online matchmaking so much because if you look at all the commercials, even the branding and stuff now, it's about taking it with you and using it as a, a couch co-op type situation. The fact that it has any online play whatsoever for any of its games is boggling. I um, find that apologetic. But it's not apologetic. Nintendo hates online. I know that. But what I was saying is that if you're putting out a brand new console like this and you are going to be pushing a shop and different features and whatnot, then you should have it implemented when the game goes or the, the system goes live. So that's that's my point. You're willing to give them more time. That's cool. I'm going to have to give them more time because I don't have a fucking choice. But I feel that this work should have been done beforehand. But fair enough. None of this is that important. So let's move on to the games, and we'll start obviously with, with with Odyssey because that's the one that we picked up the uh, the concept. You got it right. I did. I, I actually did. had to work for it, but I did. <laughs> there was that pause. Everyone noticed it, and I'm yes. bringing it up because everyone yeah. noticed it, so I can't hide it. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, pros and cons here, but we'll start with the pros. the The game is gorgeous. There's a reason why it's been getting really positive reviews and is because it is a gorgeous. The gameplay is fucking tight. The zones are with the exceptions of a couple really fucking cool. I love, I call it Mario destiny. The one that has like, it looks like it's set in destiny. It, I love it. It's awesome. And there's, there's a lot of gameplay mechanics with that stupid fucking hat that I thought I would hate that I actually like a lot, and especially 
two-player co-op. Because Tristan and I have been playing that. We played uh, actually a lot of it yesterday of the two-player co-op. And in a lot of games, that second player, you're the fucking little fairy in, in, in Zelda that's doing nothing. But in this, you're actually, A, you're helping. And in some boss fights, you're actually instrumental. Like the game, the, the that boss fight would be very different if it was just you doing it by yourself. But if you have somebody, case in point, we were doing it yesterday, and and we take turns who's controlling Cappy and who isn't kind of deal. And at no point do did either of us feel like, ah, oh, crap, I got to do the hat. No, it's like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, it'll be fun. And there's one boss fight where you are. It was basically pretty much me like doing most of the stuff to instigate the point where then Tristan could do the, the stomp on, on the boss a couple of times, mini boss, I should say a couple of times, but it's all the fucking hat. And I love that. There are so many different spots where the hat is what dictates what's going to happen and how it affects player one. Who's playing Mario again, the implementation of two player in this surprisingly well done. I was not expecting it to be this cool. No, it's it's infinitely better than uh, the way they implemented it in Galaxy, where the second player literally waved a Wiimote around and collected star bit things. Yeah. Like, they. one thing I will say is everything in this game, as far as the mechanics go, feels rewarding. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's movement, whether it's using Cappy, whether it's playing as Cappy in two-player, uh, all of Mario's traditional movement stuff everything feels rewarding and it it's one of those weird things too because it plays into uh the self i don't want to say gratifying but this 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 positivity loop because as you play and you realize how integral that is and you start expanding your movement sets and your your mechanics and things like that you start exploring more and as you start exploring more you realize the different places you can get and you find all these cool little things hidden throughout the game oh yeah now, like Mario 64, these worlds are, are they're bigger than you would expect. Um, it's way bigger than 64 was. But the, the goal is to, to gather moons, power moons, instead of stars, like it was back in the day. <laughs> or as Tristan likes to call them, bananas. We're bananas. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of bananas. <laughs> but there's a thousand of them in the game. They're fucking everywhere. But they're the that's the cool thing about this game though. Like you would say, oh, there's a thousand of them. They just they just smack you at them. Yeah, they the, some of them are really really obvious. But then there are other ones that like again comes down to the movement mechanics. You figure out you can go some weird places and find these hidden ones, whether they're up above where you are or or down below or in sort of like weird areas. And you feel rewarded. The game gives you a fucking reward for exploring. And that's really cool. Well, the moons are essentially stars from prior yeah, Mario yeah. games because you need a certain amount of moons in order to, to power your sail, your your engine on that flying hat, which is fucking awesome. <laughs> Any scene where the hat is taken, the hat ship is taken off is gorgeous and I'm taking tons of screenshots. Yep. It just looks amazing. So you need a certain amount of moons to power it. Again, it's a well-done mechanic and then the rest are essentially for completionists. So you go and you get as many as you want at, at, at that point or or whatnot. And 
well, the, there's a they incentivize you to to do it as well, not just with the rewards like you're going to say in a minute, but also they they kind of leave a lot of clues everywhere. I like the um, the 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 eyepieces that you can kind of look around and zoom around and look at different mm-hmm. areas like a viewfinder, uh, and so you can look all over the place. Spot, oh, there it is, and then you just plot your map. We're going there, and that's where we're going. So it gives you the that short burst of activity, basically the shitter, you know, 15 minutes to play in 15 is if it's a bad shit, but you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. But I've got a few minutes and I'm just going to play. What do I do? Bounce in. Oh, I need to go right over there, head over there, get your moon and you're done. So it's kind of tapping into the mobile mentality of, of, of bite-sized gameplay. Exactly. Exactly. But at the same time, if you want to sit down for fucking hours the only worry you have is of your fucking docking station overheating not that you're going to get bored because there's constantly something new to do well it's also one of those interesting things where renee and i have this thing where she doesn't always like playing a lot of games depending on what they are because of how her hands work or don't work however she there are certain games that she just loves to watch and it's rare that we find a game that she just loves to watch. She will stop whatever she's doing when I'm playing Odyssey to watch Odyssey because the jokes are hilarious. Uh, the environments are amazing. The mechanics are great. It Honestly, like, I am so impressed with this game. It is stupid. And the other and, thing about the game, too, and I don't know if Tart is doing that with you, but I found that both Tristan and I were doing as we were playing together is pointing out things to the other person, the person who's controlling Mario kind of thing. It's like, oh, crap, look over there. And then we'll work together to work on that. Or, oh, no, you're missing the puzzle. You need to do this, this, and this. Oh, okay, great. There's much more of a co-op feel, even Mm -hmm. if you're not holding a Joy-Con, of being a part of this adventure that he's going on. And I fucking dig that. There's been several times where she's like, hey, can you go do this? And I'm like, I haven't even thought about that. Let's go try. Yep. Yeah, and then the rewards for the game, and, and I want to talk about that too because we, we've we talked about the shittiness of, of gambling on shit. You don't gamble here. Um, there are a ton of unlockables in this game. Uh, outfits and, and things like that that you can buy with coins, things you collect in every Mario game since the beginning of fucking time. And then each individual stage has its own hidden currency that's just throughout the throughout that stage. And there's usually a hundred per world. And again, as you find more ways to move through that, that world and you explore more, you get more of them. And then you can go back and you can turn them into your buy costumes with them. And those costumes, some of them unlock more moons because then you can go places that the NPCs wouldn't let you in. Otherwise it's a cool little idea that rewards you for going out into the world and just doing shit. Uh, it's Brilliant. And it just is. to, I'm going to dumb it down just for anybody who hasn't played the game and just to explain it a little bit more based on what you said. There's two currencies. One, think of it like a global currency. So any shop that you go on on any level. So any world is essentially a level. Think of it that way, okay? So any level, you can spend that gold anywhere in any of those shops to buy something. And then each world has its own proprietary, let's call it, currency. It's all the same, but it can only be used for that planet. So you're going to earn something, and then when you go into the shop, there's two vendors 
And what did the, the Cappy, what's it called again? I can't remember the name now. The, the Crazy Cap. Crazy Cap, yes. Yep. So there's the one that sells for global purchases and the one that's only for that planet. That's fucking brilliant because that encourages you not just to play as a whole on a variety of different planets, but also I like that outfit on that planet. Now I have to make sure that I am being that player that digs through everything to find every last possible uh, currency so that I can buy those outfits that I want from there. Again, it's encouraging you for playing, not for just, oh, I'll just buy it for two bucks kind of deal. You got to give them props for that. It it works and it's a well thought out design. It is. It absolutely is. And another thing that I want to commend them on too is there was this, this thing where if you've ever played Mario, you know that there are pipes and the pipes lead to different areas. Yeah, dude. <laughs> there are 8-bit pipes hidden throughout each level because at certain points, you can go old school fucking 2D, classic fucking Mario. And it's great because they, they present, you can't use your cap, it's, you're bound to all the old style physics, and you it's a side-scrolling romp on whatever that world is. But the thing is, it's not always just flat facing you. The way that they do it in some of these areas, it follows different shapes, different surfaces. Uh, it, it's, it feels like it's organically part of the world, but it feels like you're playing that classic Mario again. And it's an awesome touch. And the transition is almost seamless. I I also thought that like the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, that's going to be a shoehorn fucking gimmick. It's going to be lame or whatever. And then I played through a couple of them like this actually feels really, really good. Awesome is not strong enough. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it is not even remotely close enough to what those are. So what happens, folks, is that you go up to, you're wandering around your little fucking area doing your shit, killing Goombas and whatnot. And then all of a sudden there's, like Joe said, there's a pipe, be it from the side top, whatever. You go in and all of a sudden you're entering in an area. Often it is a transition area where you're going from one to another. Sometimes you are climbing up to the top of a tower. Sometimes you're spinning around a tower. Any number of things. But it's a. It's not put in as a, hey, you can come over here and do this cool, you know, old 8-bit style thing if you want. It's no, you need to do it to get from point A to B. And so you you get in the habit of, oh, okay, I know I need to go in and do that. But it's such a perfect, seamless blend, and it works so beautifully that I look, we look forward to those whenever they come about. There's one of them that goes around a tower mm -hmm. that really highlights what this is because, again, you turn into an 8-bit character. So you're flat against the tower now all of a sudden. And there's bullets that are coming towards you, hugging the tower because they're going along. And you have to traverse those as well as different platforms and whatnot in order to then get to the top of the tower. It, it It's this beautiful blend of 8-bit within a 3D environment. And it's so masterfully done that, again... Were it not for the fact that both Tristan and I are pretty easy going, we'd be fighting for who gets to do those fucking levels because they're so awesome. And you can always go back to them, too. That's the cool yeah. thing, because they're not just done when you're when you're done. Because And that's another cool little tidbit they give you. 
if you go find any of the moons that you've already gotten, they're just worth coins. And they just give you, I think it's like 15 coins for a moon. Uh, but to, to shorten this up so that we can move on so Marty's not bored because I can hear him clacking away there. Um, Whoops. Not bored. <laughs> Doing more research. Doing more research. Not bored. This is probably one of the best games that I've played in a very, very long time. And it's not just because I'm a fan of Mario. It's because it 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 was worth the wait. It was... Everything is very polished. Everything is very well done. Everything is very, very rewarding. I have, I haven't finished the game yet. I can, I haven't because I'm one of those hundred percent completionist type people. And I want to get as many things as I can get without using the, uh, the amiibos to, to go scouting for me, which is one thing you can do after you've beaten the boss of a level. Um, you can tap an amiibo and it'll, after five minutes, it'll come back and mark an X on your map where uh, a moon is. It won't tell you how to get there. It'll just show you the general area of where it is. Um, I don't do that, but it's it's rewarding. I've spent more time in Odyssey than I have in Destiny Two. And if that if you know me at all, that's really fucking impressive. So it, I it's have one of those things where if you have a Switch, get the fucking game. Yeah. Yeah, I have one complaint about the game, and what's funny is that I thought this immediately when I saw it in trailers, and then I especially felt it when I was playing the game, but it's one of those things where not being part of the culture, I was like, hmm, maybe it's just me being a little oversensitive, maybe not, we'll see, and then Tart, bless her soul, twittered about it today, and was like, okay, I was right. Nintendo has a problem with cultural appropriation and they don't understand that it's not appropriate and that they shouldn't do it. And you see that a lot. I mean, you're playing a fucking stereotype of an Italian plumber. So that kind of it's it's mama mia. Yeah. <laughs> and Tart linked this wonderful article about it that talked about it because it is one of those things where Fans will defend beloved IPs and forgive a lot of shit that they shouldn't. And it's how I feel. What's funny is that when I was reading the article, I was flashing back to Medical Gear Solid where it felt like I was one of the few people online saying they invented a fucking character for the sole purpose of stripping her because she needs to strip to breathe. So that kind of shit angers me. So when you get into Mario and then you go into their... the the clearly Mexican area that is getting frozen over kind of thing. And there's skull creatures with sombreros and all of these stereotypical outfits for Mexican people. And it is, it's like, it's one of those, it's, it's the one thing in the game that you can point to and go, Oh, for fuck's sakes, guys, seriously, 2017, you haven't learned this shit yet. This is not appropriate. Don't do it. So again, it's otherwise a brilliant game. And a lot of people will be, I'll oh, stop being a fucking slow flake. And for those of you, shut the fuck up and stop listening. It's, it's the culture, cultural appropriation is not right. And a lot of that is, yes, what Mario does to a certain degree, but there's a way to do it right and a way to do it wrong. This was wrong. I'm not the only one that thinks that. And it's nice to know that now, but no, this, they need to work on that. Because well, and 
to be put to put it in perspective too, she didn't say that she hated it. She said that it made her a little uncomfortable. And yes. it, and while I appreciate that, it was better than some of their past outings. It's not still not great, but it wasn't as bad as some of the the ones have been in the past. Where, like, if you talk to them, they're not they're not with that weird way that you would see some games write Hispanic accents and things like that. So again, it's it's not great. It's better, but we can still do better. We can most definitely. And I don't, I try really hard never to fall on the, that's how it's always been or it's better than before. That's not to say that improvements aren't good, but there's a point where you can look at something and say, no, this shouldn't be about incremental changes. This should just be about, listen, learn your fucking lessons. Like this is not rocket science. Just learn it and move on. And and part of that is I also am wondering how much of that is just because of, and, and this is, I don't know because I've never been there. I don't know how much of, of Japanese culture influences how they view other cultures in the world, because I know, and Tart and I have talked to this in the past, the way we were brought up with our families, we have a really growing up. We had a very different, interesting view of the rest of the world that didn't change until we were older. I'm curious how that is culturally there too. And that shouldn't matter. I'm not excusing it. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying I'm curious from what I've seen from, you know, various shows, animes, you know, what have you going with the stereotype route is definitely how a lot of pulp culture in Japan does handle other uh, nations cultures. So this, this isn't just a Mario problem. This is a Japan problem, but right now Mario is the most focal thing from Japan, so yes. Okay, moving on. Like I said earlier, that Robonauts game is really fucking cool. You're basically playing this little robot kind of thing that is going to planet to planet and activating waypoints and getting rid of these various aliens that are destroying waypoints and different other things and, and towers and whatnot. And it's basically, you're just kind of, there's these really awesome trailers, first and foremost, but that's not what you're playing. The You're playing on these small planets and you kind of go back and forth and you can jump between the planets as well and, and take out the things. It's a great design. Tristan and I also played that for a long time yesterday and it was so much fun in co-op as well. These type of games often in co-op, co-op don't quite work in this case worked like a charm split screen beautiful he and i were just both kind of either working together or handling different planets at the same time the art aesthetic of the game is gorgeous brilliant and it is hectic as fuck (laughs) like there is a lot of shit that wants to kill you but a lot of fun and it was on sale recently it might still be on sale so Check it out. Support them. It's really worth the purchase. And then the other one I've been playing, like I said, is Perception. So Perception is very much story-driven. However, it's also very akin to what is now becoming that kind of of trope. Like like your Layers of Fear, like your What Remains of Edith Finch, where you are going around an old house. So in this case here, you are driven there. Walking simulator. Yeah, but it's more than that because it's specifically in an old creepy house as well. So the um, this one here, you are a blind woman who is drawn to go to this house because of dreams. 
pretty fucking flimsy, let's be very honest here, but okay. And then you get there and you are, again, you, you, there's a little flashback with her father who's clearly also blind, who's teaching her to use echolocation to be able to quote unquote see more. And, and I, I was knocking my fucking cane like a motherfucker. Like every two steps, click, click. I know you're there. I can hear you. <laughs> and so the mechanic kind of falls apart because you use it a lot when you're in. You're tapping everything as you're going along and it kind of gets a little old. They easily could have gotten past that by just increasing the del- increasing the time before the delay, the, the fade begins where you have to tap again. Something as simple as that would make it so that it doesn't feel quite as as repetitive and take you out of the experience, which is not good. But the story-wise is interesting. Again, you're going there, there's some clues from dreams that you got to uncover and figure out what's going on in this house, and you travel around it. Again, it's not an original concept by any stretch. I feel that a lot of the other games... Most other games, let's be honest, have done it better. But when I say that, that isn't to say that better is a very low baseline. That's a high baseline. My appreciation of layers for layers of fear and what remains of Edith Finch and 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 some other games is fairly high. So, you know, it's it's not quite as good, but it's still a lot of fun. And again, if you are playing at night where you are in that dark environment and you got the headphones on and you really feel like you're there. It works. It works. You get, you get creeped out. And that's why I'm saying you're knocking your fucking cane a lot. So it's a fun game. It's not on sale right now, but I pitched, picked it up full price. It was still like, I think it was 17 or 18 bucks Canadian. So it's going to be probably 15 for us store. And it's worth the, the playthrough. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm not done yet, but I, I am enjoying it. So have you actually been playing anything else on it, Joe? Oh Yeah. What else are so, you playing? I've actually been spending a lot of time with Mario plus rabbits, which. Oh, is, dude, I can't wait to play that. <laughs> it's, it's Mario XCOM for anybody who doesn't doesn't know. Uh, it's a brilliant fucking game. It is very much tactical combat style, and it's very much uh, going from arena to arena. And the story isn't exactly too deep. Um, basically, the rabbits accidentally go to Earth where a. Uh, little girl inventor has invented these these goggles that combine things when you stare at them, uh, but she hasn't perfected it yet, and it, it sort of malfunctions. Well, the rabbits, being rabbits, decide to fuck up everything in her room uh, and play with the goggles, and she's a huge Nintendo nerd. So they wind up getting sucked into their trans-dimensional wash tub uh, with these goggles. Do. With all of the Mario shit, and they accidentally transport themselves to the Nintendo game universe, uh, where they fuck everything up. But it's clever, and honestly, like the characterization of the rabid characters is hysterical. It always is. Let's be honest. But this is beyond that because you have you have rabid Peach, you have rabid Luigi. I wanted a rabid Wario and a rabid Waluigi. I haven't found them yet. I fucking hope they exist in this game. Uh, but it should it's just be clever. actual Wario and Waluigi, actually. It would be rabid version. <laughs> it would be absolutely great. But it's it's brilliant because like even and like the the interactions between Rabid Peach and Peach is hysterical. It's just a really surprisingly good game. 
Okay, I like hearing that the gameplay is good too because while it looked good in the trailers, it's one of those things where eh, you never know and you want to try it out. So, okay, that's good to hear. What else are you playing on it? Uh, well, Breath of the Wild just came home with me right. today for my second playthrough. Um, so that and Shovel Knight because, well, I love me some Shovel Knight. Now, uh, one of the games that I saw on the eShop, I immediately thought, oh, my God, this is a fucking Vince game. <laughs> Battle Chef Brigade. Tristan and I were looking at it, and he's the one that pointed out and said, what's that? And it was like, I hadn't really looked at it. So we went in, and then we watched the, the stuff on it and went, oh, my God, this is glorious. This is fucking amazing. <laughs> it's it's so bizarre in all the right ways. <laughs> yep. Uh, the latest uh, game to be published by Adult Swim uh, comes out next week on Switch and PC, PS4, somewhere down the line, where you play Mina, this uh, chef competing in a very Iron Chef-like competition. Like, I love <laughs> the presentation of, like, the actual chef arena. It looks amazing. You got where... murder for your meat. Exactly. Like, to, to cook the best dishes, you need the best ingredients. So half the game is going out into this, like, side-scrolling action game and just killing stuff for ingredients and then the other half is this what looks to be a very stressful uh like bejeweled style match three game but having to run between different stations as you're cooking multiple things at once to make this fantastic dish i am so behind this as hell but oh my god the presentation absolutely works look can we take can we take a second here and just appreciate fucking the weird shit that Adult Swim Games has been putting out because it's not just weird, it's weird and fucking good. Yeah, that's the thing. Like anybody can do weird, but doing weird and almost to a piece having them be quality games, that's impressive. And it's gorgeous. Holy fucking hell, the art style is fantastic. I'm buying this. Oh my god. <laughs> and it's not I'm buying either. This. <laughs> Like, no joke, I'm straight up buying this. Oh, so am I. So am I. I, We were laughing. We were looking at all the pictures and reading the thing, watching the videos then, and it was like, oh, my God, I'm I'm buying this. Like, as soon as it's out, I cannot wait to play this. There's another game that I'm looking forward to, too, that's going to be coming out soon soon called It'll Do 2. It's basically an old-style Zelda game done by the same people that do Binding of Isaac and, and The End is Nigh and stuff like that, but without the weird gross adult humor it's very cutesy you play a female character that is basically it's basically what if legend of zelda was zelda going around doing the heroics versus link and it, the art style is really really clever it's got this hand-drawn feel to it it looks great and i can't wait to play that on the switch because i feel like that's where it belongs so i'm really excited for that which should be out hopefully i think it's this week actually there's some really good games that are coming out in the store right now. Like I, my wish list is getting quite full because I'm constantly seeing things that it's like, oh, I would play the crap out of that. And others, I'm not happy. And I know that you discussed this on Twitter as well with the price increase for the Switch games. I really don't dig that. They're fucking expensive. But so I looked more into that too. It's the physical cartridges are ten dollars more than the digital releases. And even then, some of them, some of the game developers are eating that cost. Like Nicholas um, and the Edmund Millen team, like Binding of Isaac is a $30 game. The physical cartridge is 30 bucks. 
Um, and that's with the base game and both expansions or no, I'm sorry, 40 bucks with the base game and both expansions. It's a $40 cartridge. If you buy the physical one, it, it is one-to-one exactly. They ate the cost of the $10 cartridge. Um, but Axiom Verge is $10 more expensive. If you get a physical one, it's only $20. It, it, it's $30. If you buy physical, it's $20. If you buy the digital, which is the same as it is on steam. Actually, um, that's not the case with certain games, and that might be the Canadian pricing, but they're the same whether you're buying digital or the cartridge. They're, that might be a Canadian bucks. thing, but USD so far, it, I'm noticing that if it's a physical cartridge, it's $10 more than it is on the eShop. Okay, so. Because they're the same, and that's what's that's what's causing some some frustrations, let's say. And I go, I, and again, I know we've been talking about that fucking with the loot crates and before that with the, oh, games are expensive to make, but you know, 80 bucks for doom on the switch plus tax is fucking batshit crazy to me. That's I agree. way too much. Part of this is also Nintendo though, too. Like, and this has always been the case with Nintendo and we can go back and, and talk about this even from way back in the day, like games, we talk about being 60 bucks and they have been 60 bucks since like 1985. But part of that is also like way back when, when games were still on cartridges, Nintendo sold the physical shells to the game developers to put their games in and charged them. I think it was like 12 or 15 bucks per per thing, driving the price of them up. Oh, yeah. And and so that that's sort of what they're doing again with the switch cartridges, because they're not exactly SD cards they are a little bit different. Just enough. They can get some more money out of the developers for it. So part of that is that and part of that is some of the developers capitalizing on it. If that One was true will, that, and they were cheaper, then I'd be all right with it. But like I said, for at least for what I've seen, that's not the case. Now, one thing I will criticize though, too, and this is something that should be pointed out. There are some games that uh, are coming out for the switch that don't have all of the features of other releases. So something to be mindful of when you're looking at some of the games from third party developers, uh, Bethesda has been pretty good so far. Actually, Bethesda has been the best one. So like Skyrim, doom, have everything and doom particularly runs really really great it's optimized for the switch it's only at 30 frames per second instead of 60 but everybody that has played it has had on time with it says it feels as good as playing it on a high-end pc and it looks very very good on the switch that's great bonus and they say the same thing about skyrim which i would hope so skyrim's a what five-year-old game at this point six i think six something like that but some companies surprise surprise e fucking a uh, with games like FIFA 18, don't give you everything. And what I mean by don't give you everything is you like that single player campaign. Oh yeah, by the way, it's fucking gone. You're still paying sixty dollars for the game, but it's not there anymore. Like you still that pisses me off to no fucking end. You don't get everything. <laughs> That's and, why when you told me that about the Lego, I'm like, oh god, no, please, no. I want to play the Lego game. <laughs> And I and I, and that's and that's what I heard. So take it as a grain of salt, and you have to pay attention to it. Um, but when you're buying games from a third-party developer on the Switch, just make sure if it's on another platform that you're getting everything because you might be paying the same price and getting less. Okay, we are going to need to move away from the Switch. Did you have anything else before we go? I have a question. Shoot. So I have a five-year-old, no, four-year-old nephew and a two-year-old niece, and so pretty soon they're going to start gaming. What sort of things, like when I, when I associate with the Nintendo, I think about like, games that are good for the entire family what sort of game would i be looking into if snipper i it? what's it snipper clips it is one of the cleverest family-friendly games i have ever played and there's it's a also, game there's also Sorry, that uh that spell what's it called 
the one when that kind of, kind of combine, combines the uh, kind of an old school dungeon crawler with a um, almost like a, a bookworm game where you're doing kind of words and stuff too. Not mm, so much not for the young child, but for somebody who's just learning words to work with somebody else is actually really good. Well, Snipperclips, just so Marty knows, it's and for somebody who's not familiar with it, is uh, it's a multiplayer game, two to four players, uh, and you play paper figures and they're not just like humanoid figures you're like this weird almost ovoid almost rectangle thing but you have to cut yourself with the assistance of your friend into different shapes in order to solve the puzzle of the level you're on and this can be anything from a competition if you're doing a floor player game to moving uh some water from one end of the stage to the other or moving a pencil or things like that and it's really really clever because it 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 encourages you obviously to work together um and it also gives creative cooperative puzzle solving it does also have a battle mode where instead of smash brothers where you knock somebody out of bounds your goal is to completely consume and cut your your opponents into nothingness um it's a very cheap game too but it's good it's really good especially for younger kids it's something easy for them to get into and uh, it's very quick to pick up, and you don't need anything more than the Switch itself because each Joy-Con goes into a single controller, so two players can play without having to buy another set of controllers or anything like that. Now, that I, I'm just going to put this out there as well. I played Odyssey with... Yes, there was a pod, pause. I played Odyssey with my three-year-old granddaughter, and we had a lot of fun. Like, we had a lot of fun. You can't expect that they're going to control Cappy perfectly, or Mario for that matter. But we had so much fun playing that game together. It was unbelievable. And because it is such a bright and beautiful game as well, it attracts the attention of a younger audience. Older audience, obviously, as well. But primarily those... Again, you get those reds and those bright pinks and greens and everything. And a child will just latch on to that. And I had her on my lap and then we were sitting on the couch and she was right up against me. And we were playing Mario for actually quite a while and she adored it. And I will say, if you want one other game that is probably really great for kids, it's going to be Doom because we want to indoctrinate them against the <laughs> Horde of Hell quickly and early. So I'm totally going to throw that out there. Perfect. No, I was I was already assuming get, get Doom and Skyrim because, you know, crafting. So perfect. That works. Hey, I played Half-Life <laughs> multiplayer with my kid. Oh, geez. How old was he? He was maybe five or six. <laughs> I was like, yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> well, there, there's some other games coming out that are, are relatively cute too. Um, oh yeah. It'll do another one that's, well, I, it's, it's, you know, impressive as far as like RPGs go. The art style is really, really simplistic and good for kids. Uh, there's a ton of stuff. It, it does have something for literally everyone. Um, so if you're getting a switch and you have young folks coming over, uh, do it it's worth it it's absolutely worth it cat quest cat quest is oh, another one. yes yes yeah uh it's a it's an rpg game where you play as a cat in night armor going around beating the shit out of things with your your cat sword it's the other thing too is that there's hysterical. games like uh journey-esque type games like that evolution one which kids can play as well and be able to control you know the the, the creatures and whatnot and be able to feel like they're they're a part of that experience. So in that game, I can't remember the name. It was Evo or some Elvo. Anyways, it's a simple name. And it was like five bucks. So it's nothing to pick up. 
play for a few hours with the young kids and they have fun and then and so do you with them and then it's done so there's a lot of those as well that i've noticed perfect all right let's move on vince injustice 2 is getting some interesting characters to play (laughs) yes Uh, i mean guest characters have long been a a nice tradition in fighting games uh i mean you had friggin link in soul caliber 2 uh, you know, solid snake showing up in Super Smash Brothers, although it's definitely taken off in the past couple of years, uh, largely due to the efforts of NetherRealm. I mean, in Mortal Kombat 9, they had uh, Freddy Krueger show up as a, a downloadable character. And Jason. Uh, the, yeah, well, that was that getting to that uh, in the first Injustice uh, Scorpion from Mortal Kombat was obviously there because they're made by the same company. And then Mortal Kombat X just blew the lid off of it with Jason Voorhees, Leatherface, yep. as well as the alien Xenomorph and the Predator as playable characters. And I, I like that, that we're seeing this more and more now, like the, these companies like, uh, you know, playing around with this as DLC characters. They don't need to be involved in the story. It could just be like some fun shit that shows up. Uh, Tekken 7 has been doing this with their DLC characters, started with Akuma from the Street Fighter franchise. Uh Coming into the game soon, announced a while back, Geese Howard from King of Fighters, and literally just announced last night, the next DLC character for Tekken 7 is freaking Noctis from Final Fantasy 15. <laughs> so this is, you know, I, I love seeing like how wildly creative some of these companies can get. And of course, with Injustice 2, NetherRealm has not slowed down. We, of course, have the Mortal Kombat guest characters in the forms of Sub-Zero and Raiden, who has the most amazingly over-the-top, dumb, in the best possible way, super move. Yup. And with the second DLC character pack, their big surprise character was actually Hellboy. Showing so up. good! So good! So with the uh, DLC pack 3 announcement that came out earlier this week, they showed off that uh, the three characters in that pack are going to be the Enchantress, the Adam and the Teenage Ninja Turtle. Hold on a second. Not just the any version of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the ones from the movie of our childhood. Yeah, and I, and I love the troll because for like a week previously, the rumor that had been going around, which I have to at this point believe was started by NetherRealm, was that Melina from the Mortal Kombat franchise was going to be the next like guest character to show up. Because all you saw was a sigh. When you have Enchantress and the Adam like squaring off to fight and the sigh comes clinging down and sticking in the pavement, everybody's like, oh, it's Melina. And yeah, like you said, it's Raphael in his trench coat and (laughs) (laughs) straight out of the movie. It's amazing. Like I popped off so hard. Now, we don't know exactly how it's going to work. Is this going to be four separate characters? Is it going to be one character with, like, different choosable movesets? We don't know at this point, but it doesn't matter because it's the friggin' Ninja Turtles. I was just going to say, who the fuck cares? I'm buying the fuck out of this. (laughs) I've been very interested in Injustice. Uh, Going back to the first game, I didn't think very highly of it at first because a lot of the story stuff it was based off of was pretty cringy and the whole Joker killing Lois Lane and uh, her unborn child thing. But that was saved by the fact that the rest of the game had a legitimately interesting storyline. And the comic was one of the best comics of God, yeah. the next couple years. So here with Injustice 2, I'm actually very interested to see like what they can do with the story mode. Uh, the gameplay is so much better than the first game. It, with Mortal Kombat X, NetherRealm finally learned how to make like a really interesting and well-made fighting game. And that carries over here in Injustice 2. So this just gives me another reason to hopefully find this for cheap on Black Friday. 
I freaking still love playing Injustice with my son. So I'm waiting for this to go on sale too because I'm dying to play it. What's funny is that we were watching the announcement, my son and I, and he was like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? What does that have to do with DC? And I was going, actually, I'm going to freaking find Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and you're going to read that shit because that was one of the best miniseries recently. But it doesn't matter at this point. If you can get the licensing deal, who cares? Exactly. So, yeah, I I thought it was awesome. Okay, we are going to move on to Monster Hunter World. Marty, you get to speak. I know. I've been waiting patiently. Um, (laughs) You understand, of course, that even though your name is on that item in the show notes, you can speak at any time. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. And I was listening to a lot of it. Um, Specifically, when you guys were talking about the Switch, I wanted to bring up, like, I remember when before I was contributing, uh, Roger, you were just like, this looks stupid. But uh, I like hearing how you can admit that you're wrong. That takes a that takes a very big host. Um, it happens all the fucking time. You get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> so when. Uh, yeah. So Monster Hunter World for a second, I got to admit this, like uh, back in the late 90s, early aughts, there was a delivery service in Chicago called Cosmo. And we got a monster blank game for the PS2. I don't remember what the name was. I just looked it up. It was not Monster Hunter. It was Monster, monster Rancher. Ranger. That game yes, was, it was awesome. <laughs> Wasn't it? It was a Pokemon game where the monster monsters you got were based off actual music CDs that you could put in the place. Yes. Exactly. It was amazing. Oh, we loved it. Um, And I thought, oh, Monster Hunter. That's the game that we got from Cosmo all those years ago. It is not. Uh, but it looks amazing. Uh, basically, it's, it's a long-standing franchise that uh, is more successful, I guess, and more noticeable uh, in Japan and on mobile platforms now. But Monster Hunter 4, they're bringing it to current gen, excuse me, Monster Hunter World, the sequel to Monster Hunter 4. They're bringing it to the States with an express purpose of trying to break into the uh, console market with this game, basically touting the graphical prowess of our current generation systems and the fact that the AI of the monsters is going to be very complex. Um, Game Informer at IGN and Verge all did these really cool in-depth discussions of the game. Uh, And so far there's four worlds uh, or realms that are being discussed and how they work. Uh, The Carrion Realm is the creepiest looking thing. And one of the first monsters you see is this, basically it's a cross between a cobra and an alligator and it's, eaten something that's rotting and it's gross and it looks amazing <laughs> i uh, freaking love the design of the ones that i've seen and then when you couple that with the enhanced ai that you're talking about so it's not always the same fight kind of thing certainly it'll have some key mechanics but it, hopefully there'll be you know a certain degree of flying by the seat of your pants that you need in order to take these things down. I fucking love that. Oh, that's, I'm, I'm sorely tempted by this since it would be yeah. on my console of choice. Uh, what really got me though, uh, it's two things. The first was when they were talking to the developers in this interview about how they came up with, you know, some of the monsters for this new version of the game. And they're like, yeah, we went to Argentina and we studied <laughs> some of these amazing Uh, landscapes and noticed how the grasses grew in this very windy area and that affected how their herbivores would eat which would affect how the carnivores hunt them 
And so they're like, and so then we decided to use coral as a stand-in. So you're, it's an underwater world without any swimming parts because that's cool. Um, and the other part that got me was just uh, like the level of detail they did just for the ecosystem itself. Like yeah. that trip made them really want to build uh, a totally bizarre monster infected world, but that made sense internally, which is not something, you know, why, why bother with that? It's monsters. Who cares? They took great pride in like saying, no, this is how our world is going to be built. And this is what we're going to do. And it's bigger than any other monster hunter game before. And everybody should go out and buy it. That's basically what their pitch was. And I, I'm sorely tempted to pick up uh, something to play uh, when I'm not, you know, repping my faction of choice. So it's, looks awesome. What's funny is that we've talked about Monster Hunter before on the podcast with with the other ones and we all kind of agreed, you know, it's one of those games that looks astounding but you know, once you play it not so much, it's not for everyone. Like Monster Hunter uh 4, my son pumped hundreds of hours into this. Adore the game. And so he's excited for this as well. And I tried it and it was like, eh, not so much. But even I am looking at this and going, yeah, I want this. Like, I want to play this something fierce. It fucking looks amazing. And every time I hear something new, even the silly little stuff where they were doing rapid questions with the devs was just enough for me to go, you know what? You guys are having fun. You're working hard. You're trying different things. And you are really putting the focus on where it needs to be by the sound of it, at least. That, yeah, I'm really kind of jazzed about this i i really want to give this a shot too it really felt to me like the devs are trying to like they're very comfortable in the mobile market because that's how the primary audience plays but they really want to you know stretch their stuff with like these amazingly detailed environments yeah. and with the ai it's like that, that's something that you know they're going outside their comfort zone i think it's something that should be you know rewarded well especially the ai i i can't stress for me how important that is because again, it's it's one of those things where in this is very much a game about just going out and hunting. So picture your favorite ARPG, whether it's a Diablo or whatever, where the entire purpose is to go out and kill a whole bunch of demons just to get loot. Well, it's the same thing here. You're just you're going out and you're killing monsters in order to make use of them for your gear that you then repurpose let's just say and so it's that same kind of mechanic so it has to then be fun that's the big thing it, there has to be something to draw you back into that grind which again blizzard struggled with that for fucking years with diablo to kind of iron it out and get it to a point where people were happy just going into grind and that's what this is going to be and at least for this one, and I could be wrong, we'll see when the game comes out, from what we've seen thus far, the grind looks fun. And by having intelligent AI for those monsters, it means that the fights will be fun, which is what it has to be. So that's an, a, a, a truly important part of a game like this. And the fact that they've given it that much attention means that we, the players, then can expect to have a lot of fun with the grind, which, again, for a game that's all about the grind, that's fucking important. Exactly. A grind that isn't fun is just not a game you want to play. 
So with that, we were actually going to call it a wrap. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes, of course, at ForTheLore.com. You can find us on Twitter at ForTheLore, or individually, Joe is Lord Rizet, Jay, Vince is Simonian, Marty is Officer Gleason, and I am Zen Buddhist. You can also leave us your thoughts and comments on iTunes and Stitcher. And with that, we will see you guys next week. All right, class, we got a lot to cover today. In fact, so much that I'm going to divide it over two lectures. Well, I initially thought I was going to talk about the bane of ZJ's existence. By that, I mean the Vex. Instead, we're going to focus on the Hive. The reason is simple. The Hive are scarier and have created more terror and have the worst possible creation, something called the Sword Logic, that is a direct threat to the Traveler, to the Light, and to each other. Uh, so... Let's get started. Today we're going to talk about the Hive's biology, their society, their technology, and a little about their history, specifically their history working with us. And next time we will talk more about the ancient history and the philosophy, the sword logic. So let's begin. Let's pretend that you are super interested in culture and you are going to play the role of anthropologist and look into the history and culture of the, of the Hive, starting also with getting some basic biology together. For those of you who like guns more than they like pencils, let's talk and pretend that you are field recon and you're going to shoot them all. Regardless, here's what you're going to find. That they have five morphologies, and you would learn that that's the word that they would use. Uh, the wizards and knights are on the top. Acolytes fill the middle ranks. Thralls are at the bottom. And the fifth uh, morphology, the ogre, is uh, at once both part of and outside of hive culture and society. They are a living weapon and are very difficult to control. This has a lot to do with how they're created, which has to do with infusing a thrall with darkness and feeding its worm. More on that in a second. Uh, you would learn of the symbiotic relationship between the hive host, the three-eyed creatures that are, have a very thick, dense, chintinous layer that like to dig with their teeth, and their claws, and are very bloodthirsty. And a worm, uh, a slimy, gross, uh, also three-eyed, spiky dweller inside the hive body that is also a part of the source of their power. Uh, you would also learn that the hive uh, have a connection to the big D darkness in that wizards and knights are both able to call upon the darkness to either shield them, in the case of knights, from any type of conventional weapon, and uh, that wizards can use the darkness to poison others and to hide in it. Uh, at the top of their society, you would recognize that wizards and knights are at the top, but wizards typically outrank knights because of uh, connections to previous uh, morphologies within the hive, meaning back in the day, Wizards were mothers, and knights were the frontline soldiers, and acolytes were everyday hive, uh, with thrall coming in somewhere. But you would also eventually stumble into a nest or a warren of hive and learn that they actually physically engage in worship. You would recognize that they make shrines. You would recognize that this is not just some sort of burial site or some sort of weird cultural embolism, you would recognize it as worship because they would be prostrate 
before an item or an individual or before a rip in space and time itself, and that they would be paying tribute somehow. Uh, sometimes it's actively visible, the light that pours out from them into that portal, that rip in space and time. You would also recognize that some of their technology rivals out of our golden age, that they have force fields and paracausal weapons, guns that they call boomers. Literally, they call them boomers. That's not me making stuff up to make them seem less terrifying. But that the leaders amongst them carry swords that are heavily notched. Uh, it appears that they've been notched with the by hitting other things or hitting other swords or just, you know, in the act of killing. This definitely plays into the role of the sword logic. We would also recognize that some of their technology is mystical in nature, which to me just means we still don't get it, but it can't just be magic. Uh, that they can pull the light from others, that they can that they engorge themselves on the light, and it turns, uh, they feed it to their worm. We know this not through science or magic, but through their own writings, and that they pay tribute to their gods that way. Uh, we also know that they've had pieces of the Traveler and have attempted to destroy the Traveler from within by working rituals on it to keep it from healing. And it's a pretty good detailed account of that. Uh, all of this is what we have learned uh, just before and after uh, two major battles in our history. So let's shift gears a little bit away from the Hive as their biology and their technology are. And let's say the Hive land and we start to learn all this stuff and they launch an attack on us. We thought by giving them the moon, they'd leave us alone. But now they land on Earth at the Battle of the Burning Lake, and we decide to launch a counteroffensive. Against the will of Lord Shax, we lead a counteroffensive where hundreds, if not thousands, of Guardians die at the Battle of Mare Imbrium. This Battle of Mare Imbrium, which Shax predicted would be a defeat, uh, is also where we encounter exactly what the Hive worship. And this is the other proof that we have that they have gods, because they summoned theirs. He woke from his slumber, his name is Crota, and he slaughtered and slaughtered the guardians and turned the moon into a sea of green fire. There were some survivors of that battle, also known as the Great Disaster, and they led a fire team of six into the depths of the moon to slaughter Crota, to gain revenge, and to destabilize the hive. Uh, what happens is well documented by Eris Morn, one of the survivors, and in the Journal of Toland the Shattered, the warlock who knew the most about the Hive. The warlock who also, apparently, sacrificed parts of his fire team to further his plan to learn hive, the Hive ritual so that he could hide his death like the other Hive. This is what we mean when we talk about Ascendant, Ascendant Realms, Ascendant Swords, Ascendant Hive, those beings that are are basically paracausal and have hidden their death within another reality. Crota being one of them, that even if the first fire team made it all the way to kill Crota, that they hadn't reached his ascendant realm and they would never truly kill him. This is why when Crota's father, Oryx, the king of the Taken and the leader of the Hive arrived on our planet, simply killing his form on the Dreadnought was not enough. We had to go into the ascendant realm and kill him on his in his throne world which is a fancy way of saying he had built himself and Crota and other Ascendant Hive, they build their own worlds where they hide their death uh, and they can come back through the power granted to them by the darkness. Now we know a lot of this 
uh, because Toland learned this from interrogating the hive and from learning from the hive. And also because Toland himself, allegedly, left us clues by decoding parts of the hive book, the Book of Sorrows. Mention, well, the Book of Sorrows, which mentions a number of other races encountered by the Traveler and the entire history of the Hive and how they came to the idea of the sword logic. Which is where we're going to end this conversation, because what I've given you is this. A biology of a race that is very hard to kill and looking forward to killing us every time, because when they kill us, they get to eat some of our essence and then tithe the rest of it to their gods, gods who answer the call and answer their prayers. We learned that they've got paracausal weaponry, and in fact, some of them are actually paracausal beings, and that they've created a philosophy, the sword logic, which is so corruptive and dark that it even made the Vex into what they are today. Uh, for your next lesson, what I want you to do is to buy yourself some chocolate or grab a beer or whatever you're allowed to do to take care of yourself, because next time, what we'll be talking about is far scarier than what we've mentioned so far. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.